Thank you for listening to the Family Life Podcast. For more great content, visit thefamilylife.org. We hope you are blessed by today's message and will be encouraged to share it with someone you know. You may be seated in the presence of Jesus. When we are crushed like grapes, we cannot think of the wine we will become. The sorrow overwhelms us, makes us throw ourselves on the ground, face down and sweat drops of blood. It is then that we need to be reminded that our cup of sorrow is also our cup of joy. And that one day we will be able to taste the joy as fully and as deeply as we now taste the sorrow. Jesus' iteration of that went like this. Verily, verily, I say unto you, that ye shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice. And ye shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in travail, hath sorrow because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembers no more the anguish for joy that a man is born into the world. And ye now therefore have sorrow, because I'm leaving you, Jesus is saying. But I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man can take from you. A couple of weeks ago, I was here at the church on a Tuesday evening, preparing for a service I was going to be at, when suddenly, almost inexplicably, what I can only call a spirit of heaviness, came upon me. It was so tangible that I stopped what I was doing, and I had enough self-awareness to ask myself a few questions against the way that I was feeling. First question I asked myself was, what have I eaten today? (laughs) Like, is it the pizza that's talking to me? Or have I eaten? Which, if you ask my family, is a viable question for me to ask myself, considering the amount of coffee that I might consume on a given day. But that wasn't the problem. That box was checked. I had eaten pretty well, at least for me. Second question I asked myself was, have I been moody? over the last 48 hours. That is, have my moods been shifty? My highs high, my lows low. By default, I'm a sort of somber person. It's pretty easy for me to slip into a state of heaviness, of sobriety. But that wasn't it either. At least I don't think. I had been pretty stable, again, at least for me. So that box was checked. The third question that I asked myself was, has something bad happened in my life in the last couple of weeks? Has some negative event occurred that I'm not thinking of? You would think that I would just know intuitively if something bad had happened, but you and I might surprise ourselves at how capable we are of subconsciously suppressing things we'd rather forget. And so that box was checked. That wasn't it either. And I wasn't even going to give credence or credit to the possibility that it might have been a spiritual attack, like demonic oppression. I was confident that it wasn't. And so I deduced down to the conclusion that this spirit of heaviness that I felt was from the hand of God, that it was the Lord who put it on me. And so I started to pray, 
which is the appropriate response regardless of where that feeling is coming from. I put my face in the carpet, and I promise you, as soon as I began to pray, that weight began to lift off of me in a tangible, palpable way. And I began to see what it was that I believe the Spirit of the Lord was prompting me to see. And what I think he wanted me to see, quite simply, was my suffering on his cross. My suffering on his cross. Now, when I say my suffering, what I mean by that is the parts about my life that I despise the most and that I would prefer to avoid acknowledging. Circumstances and situations for which I'm not altogether responsible. Some of them I am, but not all of them. Some of them are sufferings and injustices that have been done against me by others or just by this world. That's what I mean by my suffering, that the Spirit of the Lord wanted me to see my suffering on His cross, on His body. Now, whenever I feel like God is talking to me, I write. The way that I process is by writing. And I want to share with you what I wrote in that moment, not because I think it's new information or revelation, not because I think it's some profound, deep thought, but because I'm confident that it will minister to where someone is today. Amen? This is what I wrote. When we think of suffering, sin is close at hand because it was through sin that suffering entered into the world. Therefore, the promise of Jesus must be that both sin and suffering are redeemed by his blood. He paid for our suffering too. Amen. He paid for our suffering Two, giving us the permission to plead the blood, not just over what we have done wrong, our sin, but over what wrong has been done to us, our suffering. Be it by somebody else, Satan, or the spirit of the age, this world. Jesus can heal our suffering as sure as he can forgive us of our sins. Jesus can heal our wounds, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, as quickly as he can forgive us of our sins, that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement, the punishment for our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. We know the call of the Christian is to endure suffering to persevere in hardship, to remain steadfast in the faith. But the good news today is that Jesus offers to ultimately redeem us from our suffering, to rescue us from our suffering. In other words, and to put it simply, it won't always be this way. This world will not always be the way that it sometimes is. That is, it won't always be a wreck. The revelation of John envisions another way, another day. He said, and I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people and God himself shall be with them and be their God and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes and there shall be no more death neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, behold, I make all things new. It's as if the Lord is going to baptize the cosmos in his glory and in his goodness. The former things are passed away. Behold, 
I make all things new. And he said unto me, John, write, for these words are true and faithful. It won't always be this way. Rather, there will be a day, a continuous day, where there is no more night, but the Lamb will be the light. There will be a day where we know as we are known, where we know the things that we don't know, where all of the questions that we have will either be answered or rendered irrelevant because of the direct presence of Jesus in the earth, that there will be a day where we understand it better by and by, a day where we with unveiled face will see the glory of God in Jesus's face. And because of this, because of the direct presence of Jesus, uninhibited and unrestrained in the earth, crying, death, sorrow, Satan, suffering, sin, pain, cancer will be no more. That the things that we despise the most will be absent because Jesus is present, that the knowledge of the glory of God is going to cover the earth as the waters clothe the sea. The knowledge of Jesus Christ in the earth is going to cover it. It's going to saturate it. It's going to clothe it. It won't always be this way. In his commentary on Romans, Warren Wearsby, the late great Christian author, He lays out what he calls three tenses of salvation. And I want to share these with you. Really, I just want us to see the third one, but they're all helpful in their own right. The first one is justification. Justification in that we have been, past tense, delivered from the penalty of sin, which is death. For the wages of sin is death. That at the point of salvation, at repentance, baptism, in Jesus' name, in the infilling of God's spirit, we have been delivered from the penalty of sin of sin, that there is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus, no death to those that are in Christ Jesus. Justification. The second one is sanctification. And that we are being, present tense, delivered from the consequences of sin. As we grow day by day into the image of Jesus Christ by and through the power of the Holy Ghost, we are being delivered from the consequences, from the collateral of sinful choices. The third one is redemption. In that we shall be, future tense, delivered from the exposure to sin. Thank you, Jesus. What a day that will be. When my Jesus, I shall see. A woman, when she is in travail, hath sorrow because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembers no more the anguish for joy. That a man is born into the world. When we are crushed like grapes, we cannot think of the wine that we will become. To think that there will be an actual time where sin and Satan officially lose all of their power and dominion. We know that in essence, sin has been destroyed and the devil has been defeated. But there is coming a day where Jesus will return to enact his full reign on the earth. And sin and Satan and suffering will no longer have free roam or liberty in the earth. And we shall be delivered from our exposure to sin. But more than removing us from this world, the coming of Jesus is about him redeeming the world by his presence. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8, and he says, For I reckon that the sufferings 
of this present time are not worthy, not worth comparing to the glory that shall be revealed in us for the earnest expectation of the creature of creation waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now, and not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, that is the Holy Ghost, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our bodies, that creation awaits our waiting, that nature longs for the fulfillment of our longing. For to it has been given the same promise as us, the children of God. And that promise is deliverance from the bondage of corruption, that nature is going to be delivered from the bondage of death, decay, and disease. And what this implies, I said that to say this, what this implies is that heaven is not some distant place to where we can escape from this world. Rather, heaven is a renewed reality on earth where everything in earth is characterized by the presence of Jesus Christ. It's characterized by fullness of joy, unending peace, and abounding love in him. And so more than removing us from this world, the coming of Jesus is about him redeeming, rescuing the world by his presence, dwelling with his people. And isn't this what we just read in Revelation 21? Let's look at it one more time. He said, And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. And they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them. And he will be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more. Those are my two favorite words in the passage. No more. No more death. No more sorrow. No more crying. No more pain. That the former things are passed away. That Jesus is coming to where we are again. That he will be with men. That he is Emmanuel, God with us. And this is a promise that is seen all throughout scripture. Yes, it's highlighted at the advent at Jesus's birth, but we see it from Genesis to revelation. God with us, I will be your God and you will be my people. And I will dwell in the midst of thee. I will write my law on your hearts. Not only that, but I'm going to clothe myself in flesh and in blood. It has always been about, and it always will be about God with us. And what this means, it is more than the salvation of our souls, but what it means is the redemption of our bodies and the redemption of this world. That the former things have passed away. Behold, I make all things new. And the way that the Lord has elected to get this done in the earth and in us, that is the way by which he is restoring us, regenerating us, is through the power and the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Earlier this year, almost a year ago, I went through the process of buying my first home. Really, I feel like it owns me. But throughout this process and this journey, I learned 
uh, a lot of new words and terms. And some of them I never quite understood. I just pretended as though I did understand. And I was like, yeah, where do I sign? You know, fake it till you make it. One of the terms that I learned was earnest money. I know 85% of you know what earnest money is, but I didn't know what earnest money was until I purchased this home. And for those of you who are like me and don't know what earnest money is, earnest money is money that you put down as the buyer, letting the seller know that you are serious about the commitment that you have initially agreed upon and that you have something to back that up with. It's one party saying to the other party, hey, I plan on doing what I said I would do. It's a statement of intention that implies fact. It is evidence that the seller can put some trust in, right? At least that's the way that I understand earnest money. I think I'm right, cuz. Yeah. He's a banker. Well, writing to the Ephesians, Paul, writing to the church, Paul says that we are sealed, right? With that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest, the first, in other words, of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his glory. That is beautiful writing, first of all. The earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of the glory of God. Can I put that in super, 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 super simple terms? When God filled me with the Holy Ghost in February of 2000, he was essentially saying, Chase, I am committed to you. I fully intend on doing what I said I would do in you. I will keep my end of this covenant. I will finish the work that I started in you. That he who began a good work in you is able to complete it under the day of Jesus Christ until the redemption of our bodies under the praise of his glory. When he fills you with the Holy Ghost, it is a promise that he is making to you that I'm not going to quit you. I'm not going to leave you forsaken. That I will be with you always, even unto the end of the age. It has always been about God with us. And it always will be about God with us. And God in us, the hope of glory. Think about when you were filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost in Texas City. Think about when you were filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, Brother Steve, at Apostolic Bible Church. Think about when you were filled with the Holy Ghost. Think about that moment where you experienced the presence of God in a way that you have never experienced the presence of God before. You were so filled with his glory. You were so filled with his presence. You were so filled with forgiveness, giving forgiveness and receiving forgiveness. You were so filled with joy and love and peace. Think about that moment. Remember it. Hold on to it. Now exponentially multiply that moment. Multiply it in an unimaginable measurement. And that's what it's going to be like when Jesus comes back to this earth. In other words, eye hath not seen, ear hath not heard, neither hath it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Could we stand this morning? Jesus' name.
God in us, God with us, and God in us. I know that most of what I have said presumes that I'm talking to a group of people who already know the Lord, believe in the Lord, have been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost and baptized in his name. But I would be remiss to not make an appeal that if you have not been baptized in the name of Jesus or filled with the Spirit of God, today can be that day. What a memory it would be to say on Christmas Sunday, I was filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. I was baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Or I was refilled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. We got a gift bag for you and it's got a couple cookies in it from Crumble. We have an ornament in it. But it would just be great if we got more than an ornament and a cookie today, but that we encountered the presence of God today. And so they're going to sing one more song and we're going to worship, but these altars are open. And if you don't have the Holy Ghost, come receive the Holy Ghost, enter into the rest wherein the weary death rests. One more time, worship the Lord and bless his.